wants me to talk to you about this morning uh, is the fact that we need to know how to do life together. And every one of us have practiced that to one degree or another in our lives. And it's something that God put on the inside of me years ago as I, before I ever got into the ministry. He, he placed down deep on the inside of me this, and believe me, it's him, it's not me, but this unconditional, un, uh, not unamazing, but amazing amount and value for the hearts of people and the lives of people that surround me. I don't know why he chose to do that in me and through me, but it's who I am. If I have the opportunity to love on you, you're going to get loved on. Some people are uncomfortable with that, and I understand it, and I'm, I, I try to always be as cognizant of that as I possibly can, but if I can hug your neck, I'm going to hug your neck, not in an un, in, inappropriate way, but it will be appropriate. And I, I'm, I just want to do life with each and every one of you when I'm afforded the opportunity to do that. God has given me and he's given you amazing gifts and amazing talents that he wants us to share one with the other. Not just to take those gifts and talents and, and uh, uh, hold them uh, within your grasp and, and use them for your benefit. God gave you and created you to be who you are so that you can bless everybody around you. It's for everybody else's benefit as well as it is for yours. Because when you bless others, others are going to bless you in return. It's a law that God established and put into motion uh, eons ago. Before the foundations of the earth were even created, God put that in place. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Investing the best of who you are into others provides rewards for us in this life, but even more importantly, you are laying up treasures in heaven for all of eternity. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he said, Do not lay up yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves cannot break in or steal. 
That sounds pretty good to me. Laying up treasures in heaven. And he said this, to cap that whole statement off. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think about that statement. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What was Jesus' treasure when he was here on earth? Anybody want to venture a, a statement on that? Where was his treasure at? Sure, his treasure was God and his sonship and his work here on this earth. But, but Jesus came with one particular, uh, for one particular reason, and that was so that he could give his life away. We think automatically, well, yeah, he died on the cross, he, he shed his blood, and he was the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity so that we could have redemption. That's absolutely correct. But what Jesus did when he was here on this earth was to demonstrate to us what God wanted us to know about living. He wanted us to know that we have the ability and the opportunity to give ourselves away to other people. Not just to hoard the love that God placed on the, on the inside of each one of us. Every one of us is filled with the love of God that has been provided for us so that we can give it away. And yet, most of the time, we sit on that love, and we internalize it, and we enjoy it. But what God wanted to do with us is give us a power and ability so that we could extend that love out to everybody around us so that they could experience it. It's what draws humanity to Jesus Christ is the love of God that he's placed on the inside of you so that you have it to give away. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, talking to the church at Thessalonica, gave us a picture of what was in his heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, and I'm reading it out of the NIV version this morning because it is more impactful for us. But here in this particular version or in this verse, Paul said this, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Paul was willing to expend everything that he was for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He nearly died numerous times. He was beaten uh, three different times. He spent 
uh, time in the, in the sea because of shipwreck. He was stoned once and left for dead because he was dead. And yet the grace of God came and re-energized that body that man had killed because God knew there was more that Paul needed to demonstrate for the sake of the people that were alive in his place. So that he could continue to be a demonstration of the Lord Jesus Christ to the new church that was in its infancy and beginning to grow. And, and it was beginning to uh, feel its oats. In other words, it was beginning to do what God created it to do in the first place. Paul not only gave everything and did everything that he could possibly do for the sake of the kingdom of God, but Paul did the same thing for you and I. He expended everything that he was. Now listen, I know that Paul was special. I only wish I could be like Paul. I can to a degree, because the same life of Christ is flowing in me that was flowing in him. So it is possible for me to be somewhat like Paul. But I don't compare myself to him. I certainly don't compare myself to Jesus Christ. But the one thing about it is, I want to be like Jesus, period. That's the end of the story. That's what I want. And that's what God wants every one of us to want. So we have to always look at Jesus' life and the lives of those around us so that we have a picture of how he wants us to live and to conduct our lives. Paul, in talking to the church at Philippi, wrote this. Philippians, Philippians 3 and 7. I got it right this time. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted and lost for the sake of Christ. One of the hardest things that we have to do in this life is to put aside the things that we can see, feel, and touch. Because they seem to be the essence of reality to us. And God knows how we are. We have a tendency to hold on to, to grasp a hold of those things that we can see, feel, and touch. And what Paul was trying to get across to the church at Philippi was God wants us to let those things go and grasp a hold of a new reality. So Paul had come to the place where he had pushed aside 
and, and suppressed all of those desires for the things that 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 he could um, that that he could see, feel, and touch, and he wanted to embrace everything for the sake of Christ, not only for himself. And in, in making the statement that that he counted everything as loss, he was saying to the church at Philippi, my life is as nothing in comparison to my ability to reach out and touch your life with the power of Christ. Because it's salvation for you. He started out, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 1 by saying this, finally, my brethren. Now, I want to stop just there for a second. He said, my brethren, you, you are important to somebody who considers you a brother, a sister. And the word here is used interchangeably. It doesn't just mean Men, it means humanity. Paul valued humanity more than anything else on the face of this earth, other than Christ. Because Christ was life to him. But he was willing to expend everything. And he said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write you the same things again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. As a preacher, many times when I'm preparing for a sermon, and I have a thought that crosses my mind, listen, it has to be substantiated with scripture, or it's a thought is of no value. And I want to give you everything that has great value. I want to give you God's heart, not mine. Not what I think. Because what I think just doesn't matter. But what God thinks matters greatly. And so Paul was willing to expend his life so that he could keep reiterating the word and the, 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 the person of Christ over and over and over again for the sake of the church and the people who make up the church of Christ. That's what, that's what drove this man to, to live and, and to push himself to the maximum all the time. But there are many times when you're preparing for a sermon and, and, and the thought will go through my mind, but God, I, I used that same scripture last week. I, can you give me something else that I could use so that I can, uh, I can drive home this point? And he's, his response is always the same. I gave you what I gave you. Use it. Quit arguing with me. But you want to you, you wanna always be giving people something new and a different perspective and everything that, that they need. But 
the word of God is the word of God and it's life to us just like it was life to Paul. And it's, it's everything that we have to give to all of humanity is this precious word of God that he's deposited on the inside of us. Family is of utmost importance. You might think about writing this next statement down. As they put it up on the screen, leave it up there long enough that people can write it down. But it says, family is not a matter of who I am becoming or who we are becoming. Family is a matter of who I am. It's who I am. We have a tendency in, when, when we think about the things of God to, to think about them in terms of future. Always future. Always future. But God says you are. He wants us to know that when Jesus Christ came and took up residence in your heart, you became everything that Jesus is. Every bit of power is invested in you. Every ability that he had to love on and minister to the lives of other people, he invested that in you. It's not something that someday you will become that. It is something that he already deposited on the inside of you. It was a part of the great exchange. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, and they didn't know I was going to do this upstairs. It says that we have become a new creature. It, no, that's 17. Excuse me. It tells us there that everything in us has become new. It tells us that, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He didn't even know what it was like to sin. Nor did he ever sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. To be sin, that means he became every sin that you ever have committed you may have committed this morning, and every sin that you will ever commit, God made Jesus to become sin so that he, Jesus, could make you to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He exchanged sinfulness, he exchanged death, for righteousness. You are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means that the righteous person of Jesus Christ rests and resides on the inside of you. That means everything that he is because righteousness is who Jesus is resides in you. 
You can love people. You can expend your life for the sake of other people. It's not a matter of what we're becoming. It's who we are. It's already there. You know what? Your parents made a choice. And you were conceived. And in the process of your development in your mother's womb, there, there, both of them, their blood was transmitted to you. Their DNA, everything about them was transmitted to you. Now, I know that there may be people sitting in here this morning. You may not even know who either of your parents are. You may not know who your father is. They may have never been uh, involved in your life. I don't know. But the thing that I want to drive home about it is you are a part of that family, even if it's by default. Their blood flows in your veins. You didn't have a choice in the matter. And when you became a born-again believer and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the very blood of Jesus Christ began to flow in your spiritual veins. And you, have, you didn't really have a choice only in the fact that you, you embraced redemption. Because the, the, God created redemption without your help. It was the covenant that he made between himself in Jesus Christ. And when we came into agreement with it, that blood came to reside on the inside of us. We are family. We are through Jesus Christ. So, what do we do to do life together? How do we do life together? I've kind of talked about it a, a little bit as we've been going along, just kind of mixing it in a little bit. Again, the question, what is it that Jesus demonstrated for us? In John chapter 14 and verse 4, Jesus said to his disciples, you know the way where I am going. You know, he, he made that simple statement and it brought a lot of frustration to the disciples because Thomas spoke up in the very next verse and he said, 
Jesus, we don't know... We don't know where you're from. We don't know the Father. How can we know where you're going? And Jesus made one of the most powerful statements that he made when he was here on the earth. He said, guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. I understand theologically that, that he's talking about the plan of redemption, that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. I understand that. But what we don't look at many times when we're looking at Scripture is asking God, I, I want a, a full picture, God, of what you're talking about here. And I'm not taking anything away from the theological uh, ramification of this verse. But Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way to get to God. But I am the way also of doing life here on this earth so that it pleases the Father. And I can make that bold statement because he said, I am the truth. So if he's the way and the truth, the truth is what gives us a picture of what it's like to be a child of God and to live for God. He's the truth. And all of it produces life. When we do life together, it makes our lives bigger. When we do the, the, um, the green shirts, the Elevate, that's it. Slipped my mind for a minute. When we do the Elevate projects and, and we have the opportunity to go out and, and take the gifts and the talents that, that God's given to each one of us and, and we're giving it away. To the community. We're giving it away to other people that are a part of this body so that things can get done that they can't do for themselves. When we do those things, we're doing life together. We're doing what God has asked us to do in taking who we are and giving it away. Now, I know that some of the guys are carpenters, some of the ladies have gifts and talents that they use and, and, and all of those things, and I know that you use them uh, in order to make your living for the most part. But there is a point in time when we need to take the gifts and the talents that God has given to us and give them away freely because that's how we lay up treasures in heaven. Not always just hoard all of the, the, the benefits of it for ourselves. It's doing life together. I think in everyday life, the worship team's going to be coming up here just in a moment. But in everyday life, I believe 
Jesus was saying this. All of you listen to me. The way that we have been living our lives over the last three years, that's how you become stronger and that's how you become successful. And every one of us is searching for strength and success in this life. And it's Jesus who provides it. His grace, his ability that is bestowed upon us. He wants us to use that for his glory. Now, we're not all going to go and camp out in Pastor Mel's backyard, even though it may be tempting at times. The early church lived in kind of a commune type thing. God's not asking us to do that. We're not to live uh, like that. What we can do is stay alert to the needs of those around us because that's what Jesus did. Jesus observed people who were in need, no matter what that need was, and he, he did what he had the power to do to meet that need. He had a little more power than you. I understand that. He had a whole lot more power than I have. But he's still asking us to give ourselves away. And by doing this, by staying alert, by observing what's going on around you and reaching out and giving aid and help, it may just be a hug around the neck. It may just, it, it could be uh, just a phone call. It could be something so simple to touch someone's life. We don't want to miss it. But that's what Jesus did. You know what? The closer we get to numbers in the thousands in our congregation, instead of hundreds, the more difficult it's going to be for us to really establish and hold on to the concept of family. I understand it as well as anybody here. But we're instituting the small groups so that we can have these small groups of people that can do life together. We can have a more uh, intimate, closer, stronger relationship with them. And, and we're, we're praying and believing that everybody uh, or, or most everybody that's possible for them to do that will be involved in these small groups and they're going to grow and they're going to be more and they'll be closer to your home than traveling all the way to the church. It's one of the ways that we can get to know people in our congregation in a, in, in a stronger way. So we just want to encourage you to be involved in that.